primarily, I guess, is a lot of us get raised to believe that, okay, if you give enough to people, then you can take. What I believe is if you give enough, then you earn the permission to be able to actually ask. Welcome to the Business Connections Podcast, where we help you connect the dots in your business. In business, we make connections every day. We connect with customers. We connect with partners and providers. We connect ideas. We even connect problems with solutions. Without connections, nothing happens. Listen in as we connect you with some of the best minds in business and share the secrets behind their success. And now, here are your hosts, Melanie Colling and Brett. Wow, so I'm at a bit of a loss where to go with this now because we've just interviewed Hung Lee, who we're kind of trying to introduce now, but our dilemma is how do we introduce him, how do we describe him? He's young, he's an entrepreneur, he's done so many things that it's kind of hard to, normally we can put people in boxes, we can say they've done this and this and this and this, so I think the only thing that we can do here is just anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship or doing uh, business for themselves and others and connecting with other people, you've got to listen to this episode because Hung, he's got his act together and he's um, so interesting. Mm. What would you add to that, Mel? Yeah, I, I, I'm feeling like you too and I know Hung, you know, from, from years ago, but um, every time I speak to him, he does blow my mind and just the stuff that he's up to, um, and it, you're right, it is hard to put him in a box, but, you know, he, he helps people, you know, or coaches them to, you know, create million-dollar businesses. He's also, you know, got a clever way to do, you know, or changing the way to do Facebook advertising. And then the last bomb that he shared with us was, a, a you know, a new tech startup company, you know, that, that's got the um, opportunity to democratise wealth. Like, wow, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and incre- like, this is the first time I've met him, an incredibly nice guy as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So but humble. Should we roll and straight into it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Beautiful soul. Okay. Let's do this, shall we? Let's go. So, Hong Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to um, jump straight into the questions. And my first question was, um, or is, tell us your journey you've been on since we met back in iLab number three in August 2013. But for our listeners, I'll just explain iLab um, is a business accelerator program that's run out of Bali. Um, and Hung and I um, went along and did um, the third um, program and they're now up to iLab 40 or 41, I think now. Um, so way back in August 2013, we spent 30 days together in Bali, which was really cool. Um, and Hung's gone on to do a whole lot of things. So just tell us a little bit about um, that journey and what you've been doing since we uh, first met. Yep, sure thing, Mel. So, yeah, apart from uh, missing your energy immensely since the actual thing. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly been a roller coaster ride in the sense that um, iLab was extremely transformational, allowed me to have much more clarity and structure in my business at the time. Um, and just to give a bit of an idea of where I was at in terms of level of business and so forth when I went to iLab. So I had a staff of, oh, I had staff of about 12 to about 14 staff in um, Manila. So that was going great. But then a few months later, we actually got hit with a Google update, which impacted our business because primarily we were selling search engine optimization as a service to local businesses. Um, but the great thing that 
I was able to do was go ahead and actually, well, I guess, keep my stuff together during hard times, um, employ a bunch of other staff, revamp the whole strategy, and I was able to sell the company just under a year later. So that was a great transformative um, sort of transition period during that time. It certainly tested my patience a lot, as entrepreneurship always does on a daily basis. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that was 2014 April that I was able to sell the company. Then, as you do when you go ahead and sell any sort of business that consumes a lot of your time, I won't say all of your time, uh, because uh, iLab certainly taught us how to actually structure our time. Uh, so one thing I noticed was that after I actually sold the company, I just felt a little bit empty. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have felt this way. Even if you're connected to your purpose, you sort of go from, you know, having this little baby to having to give it away, which I'm sure one day you might have to do with his email. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah, um, the moment I sold that company, I said, okay, so what can I do with my time at least to be able to have some sort of income not sort of just sit there on the couch you know watching netflix or anything like that <laughs> so i just said okay well i've had friends reach out to me on coaching and mentoring so i'll just give it a shot i'll do it informally just see where it takes me and then within the space of the past three years since then on and off i've mentored just over about or personally mentored about three dozen entrepreneurs of which half have built million dollar companies the other half multiple six figures and it's just been, yeah, it's just been extremely rewarding. I never really, you know, sort of woke up and said, yeah, I want to be a business coach or mentor. I just thought I'd go ahead and just share the knowledge that I've acquired from building and selling that company. Also, another company which was, well, well about 2012, and that was in regards to actually building an application. But the main core of the business I sold was that consultancy. So I uh, coached and mentored, um, yeah. So a few dozen entrepreneurs, that went out great. And then in between there, I've gone ahead and started a technology startup in which, yeah, we've pivoted like literally 11 times. And, yeah, no one will really tell you how hard it is to build a technology startup until you really get into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll uh, um, talk about that a little bit later, but I just wanted to ask you, where are you based these days? Yep, sure. So I'm based half the time in Philippines and then I regularly have to fly to Singapore and Taiwan. So my business partner is in Taiwan, but our business entity is structured in Singapore. And so where do you end up spending most of your time? Do you just go between or? Yeah, yeah I'd go between. I'd say most of the time is Philippines, uh, primarily because my girlfriend's based here. So yeah, I guess nice she's one. the boss half the time. <laughs> <laughs> But you um, originally grew up in Perth in Australia, didn't you? And um, yeah. I know yeah. when you're in Bali, you know, you came over to Bali yeah. and you're like, oh, maybe I might stay here. And, you know, you kind of stayed there for a while. And, and you know, yeah. every time I speak to you, you're in a different country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So a bit of a digital nomad, if you will. So, yeah, born and raised in yeah, Perth. But since about, I guess, five years ago, I've really only come back to Perth when it's like Christmas and Easter. So Just to see the fam. <laughs> yeah, that's right, just to see the fam. Otherwise I'll get murdered by my parents. So. Yeah, exactly well, that, right. That's the cool thing about, um, you know, being an entrepreneur is that you can be wherever you need to be or want to be, isn't it? Yep, yep. yep. I certainly thank uh, Roger Hamilton and iLab for that because um, even though I was quite familiar with the outsourcing side of things, 
you don't really know how to structure structure your business until you master the concept of flow, mm. which yeah is one of the most profound concepts ever really be grasped because most entrepreneurs you talk to, you talk about flow, they're like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. You know, I, I just fixed my sink yesterday. I don't need to know about flow. <laughs> <laughs> but really, at the end of the day, it's how well you're connected to yourself, you know, your company, the industry alone, and, yeah, we're all here to do the same. So, so Hung, I was just asking, um, what's your wealth profile? A supporter profile. Yay! Okay. Right. <laughs> You're yep. the same as Mel. You're a blaze. That's right, blaze profile. <laughs> right. And so if anyone who's listening and they don't have a clue what we're talking about, we're talking about um, Wealth Dynamics, which was created by Roger Hamilton, who was also the founder of iLab, which, which all of us have attended. Um, and you can find out your profile if you go to mywealthprofile.com or you could also that, – that's a paid test. I think it's like $97. Or there is a free test called genius at geniuscheck.com. Well, yep. you can find out what your primary energy is. So as a supporter, both Mel and Hung, uh, you guys are blaze energy, which means you're people, people. Yay. Yeah, so blaze is all about fire and summer, whereas <laughs> I'm a dynamo, which is uh, spring, spring energy. Yeah. So, so Hung, you also mentioned when you sold your business, uh, you still wanted to be connected to your purpose. So what do you think your purpose is? And is it something that's been yeah. constant or does that change for you? Yeah, that's great. That's that's a really good question. So I'd say my purpose in life that I really get, that gets me sort of energised, juices flowing, would be to empower people to be at their best. And I'll find that business really is just a vehicle to be able to extend a better version of yourself. So by being able to go ahead and coach or mentor entrepreneurs, that's exactly what I have to do because if they're not at their best, then the business most likely won't perform at its best either. Terrific. That's terrific. Yeah, that's cool. It's either, I'm not sure if it's your business or just your website. It's called Pareto Profits. Yep. Now, I, I presume that relates to the Pareto principle. So how does that tie into yep. to your business, your approach to business and so on? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for noticing that. That's for sure because sometimes people think I got it from some random Italian painter or something like that. <laughs> it's good to know that other entrepreneurs understand yeah the Pareto principle so that's one thing so so just tell us what the Pareto you and I know what it is Um, I don't know if Mel does or not but a lot of the listeners won't I googled it oh did you there you go Mel is the Pareto principle there you go so (laughs) sure thing so Pareto principle uh, really is about the law of disproportional output so um, I I'm not sure about both of you, but when I was raised up in, say, you know, high school, college, they always tell you, you know, the more you put in, the more you get out. That's true in a linear scale type of world, but when you really look at things in the type of world where everyone says that things are unfair, so to speak, it's really that where you put your best efforts, the most resourceful points, leverage points, will actually give you a much more higher exponential disproportional output. So... The law states, you know, 20% of your input will give you 80% of your output, but that's just a general sort of, I guess, um, rule to go by. Sometimes it's 1090, sometimes 595, but the core concept of that is there, which is about, you know, it's about disproportionate output. So I've been obsessed with that, whether it's fitness, whether it's going ahead and talking to people in relationships, business and so forth, and constantly ask myself, okay, how do I apply that? 
So not only so that I can go ahead and so-called gain shortcuts, but more so that I can gain the greatest levers and leverage points to be able to get the best output so that we actually can go ahead and free ourselves to do much higher things. So that's why I got obsessed and named my current company, Pareto Profits, because if you really understand the leverage points of everyone's business, or even the leverage points of where their strengths sit, um, then you're more likely to go ahead and actually get to your goals much faster. Excellent, excellent. So, so the flip side of that argument is actually, and most entrepreneurs will understand this, is 80% of what you're doing isn't actually giving you many results and yeah. it's a constant process of refinement and keeping that out. And, and the, the principle itself actually comes from nature. I believe Pareto, yeah. he noticed that crops, yeah. uh, there were particular fields that had, had a bigger yield than other fields and, and, and then he started to notice that in life and so that's how the principle yeah. came. So, yeah, great, great to see you. Using yeah, awesome. That's cool. So, Hong, how has your entrepreneurial journey um, been impacted by yeah. connections and what were they and how? Yeah, yeah. Oh, most certainly. So, because we're so poor profile, so we're certainly on the same wavelength with this, is yeah. that connections is everything. So, um, being that our profile is based around people, you know, you don't really build connections behind a computer. Um, you can when it comes to like a virtual sort of meeting like this, which is amazing in this global world, of course. But at the end of the day, um, I always tell entrepreneurs is you're only one connection away from being able to exponentially grow your business, whether that's the right strategic alliance, the right investor, or even the right client who will go ahead and remind you why you do what you do. So to me, connections is everything. And I always say that, you know, the better your team, the better your business, um, the more high-quality clientele your clients, the happier you'll be in business. So connections are everything. Mm. Right. So, so what's been your biggest lesson in making business connections and, and how did you learn that? Yeah, most certainly. Um, it will go back to a quote by Zig Ziglar, which is when you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. So primarily, I guess, a lot of us get raised to believe that, okay, if you give enough to people, then you can take. What I believe is if you give enough, then you earn the permission to be able to actually ask for what it is that you want to ask for. Fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. Excellent. Um, so you've been coaching entrepreneurs to build million-dollar businesses. How, tell us a little yep. bit. You mentioned a little bit about that, but tell us what you do um, and maybe some of the successes that you've had, you know, in doing that. Yep, sure, sure, sure thing. So. Um, originally, I just coached entrepreneurs on being able to actually build like an evergreen and explosive um, marketing or client acquisition system. So that was like in the beginning, about 2014 to 2015, that was more of like an introductory package. And then I realized a big commonality between all my clients was that they're already making about six figures, but they're really stuck on getting to seven. So then I just repositioned my value proposition to say, hey, I'll help you build you know, a million-dollar business in 12 months or less. And I can't you know, necessarily just guarantee that to anyone because if you don't have that hunger and drive to be able to do it and you don't have at least some sort of starting base, it's quite challenging. Like you can do it from scratch. It just requires a different type of, you know, I guess, profile and hunger and drive moving forward. So how I do that primarily, and I'm sure you're quite comfortable with this, is the first thing you always have to do is get any client prospect that you talk to, anyone you coach and mentoring, to get 
crystal clear clarity on what it is that they actually want to do, who they are. Otherwise, without clarity, there's no power in being able to move forward. You're just going to be, you know, doing a million things, um, getting led astray, you know, in every single direction for the next shiny object, for the next product, next MLM thing, whatever it is. So I'll get them crystal clear clarity. And then we say, okay, so now let's get really good on your pitch. So a lot of people in the technology world talk about product market fit. So making sure that the market actually wants your product. I think one step before that, which is even more important, is product market pitch. So are people actually buying your idea to begin with? Because you can make this great product, but if you can't pitch it, no one's going to listen. Right. Yeah. So then after we refine that pitch, we look at, okay, so what's the best way to actually um, segment, uh, systemize, and provide your actual product or your service in a way that actually best benefits the client or their prospective clients to be able to actually get the value proposition that they promised to the marketplace. And, and of course, after that, we look at partnerships. So a lot of this has been similar. Um, I'll give a shout-out to Dan Priestley. He wrote Key Person Influence. So when I read that book, I thought it was an amazing book. It gave me a lot more structure to coach clients. And then I just added in a few sections, um, such as, like, purpose, physical evidence, promotion, um, to make it into eight steps instead of just five. But that's essentially the core process. Right. Yeah, that, that's cool because um, Brett and I have been, um, well, Brett put me on to, to KPI. I had heard of it. Um, yeah. I've, we've been listening and we've actually, you know, kind of refining what we're doing um, individually and together based on that, you know. Yeah. Um, Brett's kind of working on, um, you know, publish um, and content yeah. marketing stuff and, and, you know, awesome. that really got me focused on the partnership side of things, which is the connection, you know, which being a supporter, yeah. you know, we naturally do. Um, anyway, so yeah, really great book, and I love those, you know, the five steps that he outlines there. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, we'll stop, stop chasing squirrels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. so, so you mentioned Dan Priestley, Zig Ziglar, uh, Roger Hamilton. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you've got a, a whole ton of people that you've sort of drawn knowledge from. Who, who do you think has been the biggest influence on your business? Cool. That's a great question, great question. And, so and, I'd pers- say, and personally as well. And personally? Yeah. Okay, okay, brilliant. I'd say um, on a personal level, my parents have had a lot of influence in my life um, if I go on the personal route primarily because my parents are also entrepreneurs. Well, my mum's an entrepreneur, so she's got a home nursery business. And then my dad used to have a labour hire company, so he used to subcontract like Welders, boiler makers, um, people in the trade services. So he shifted from being like a ward himself to actually launching labor hire companies, soon sold that. So I've seen behind the scenes in terms of how they've done entrepreneurship, but then how that really impacted me growing up was understanding that if you um, like, okay, a lot of people will talk about life. What's um, okay. So life work balance, I believe more life work integration because if you love what you do, you don't really have to say, okay, I'm only going to work on my business this week for, you know, two hours a day because, you know, I, I just need to do other things. It's more of an escape mechanism is what I see. But if you can integrate it where, like, it's some, you know, sometimes it's okay to be able to think about 
business if you're out on the beach because maybe that's just how you get in flow. Maybe it's your passion. Maybe it's your purpose. Um, so my parents on the personal level would be my greatest influence. From a business level, I'd say, yeah, um, definitely Roger Hamilton with Wealth Dynamics that honestly really cut out 80% of the things I was doing the moment I knew I was a supporter because I was just trying so hard to be a creator. Well, you know, a fantastic <laughs> creator. Brett, so, so you can picture me trying to be you. You know, I can only be half the man you are. So, of course, like, I was going uphill. So. <laughs> yeah, but primarily business, I'd say Elon Musk has been a great inspiration. Um, Peter Till, co-founder of PayPal. Um, also, a lot of... Your, Typical sort of personal development influences. Tony Robbins definitely has played a big role, a pseudo-mentor, so I haven't been to any of his conferences yet, but that's certainly on the bucket list. So. Right. Terrific. So it sounds like you, you've got a constant appetite for um, for yeah. finding out what other people are doing to, to, to expand themselves and you, yeah. you just feed yourself with that material. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. And speaking of material, one thing I've really learned in terms of reading, because I used to always like read a book a week, and I still do read a book a week for the sake of reading, and then I realised if you really want to be agile in both life and business, it's really about reading the book that can just give you that one big idea right now to advance you forward. That's what I really found to be able to cut down on being too overwhelmed with this whole content, um, wow. overwhelmed sort of errors. So, so, so you're more refined in the books that you choose to read rather than just choosing whatever just happens to be on the bestseller list at the moment, yeah? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. So, so what, what's the current book? Yep. Um, yeah, so the current one I'm looking at is Question-Based Selling. So it's quite an old book. I believe it was released about 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book before that I was reading was Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz which I've actually read about eight times now. So. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. That's terrific. Yeah. Putting me to shame. I think I need to um, get my skates on and read read some more. I have a no. book <laughs> sitting right next to me, but haven't really got yeah. too far into it. <laughs> but there you go. There's your homework now. Yeah, that's right. I'll go and read. Um, so I was just going to ask you, we talked the other day, Hung, and, and caught up, and you said that um, you've had a few mentors. So tell us how you choose your mentor and the importance of having yep. um, a mentor for you. Yeah, brilliant. So one thing I really learned from Roger Hamilton and what dynamics in general was if you choose a mentor who's a different profile to you, it, it just sort of it creates a level of incongruency and you don't really know why until you go back and do something like what dynamics because if you're a supporter and I go ahead and get a mechanic profile to go ahead and be my mentor, I just, I would constantly be down on myself and saying, well, hang on a second, you know, I've got, well, even if you had Mark Zuckerberg found on Facebook as your mentor, you'd be like, hang on a second, shouldn't I be going ahead and starting off with doing computer coding? Why is this feel disconnected? And you will end up just, you know, it just creates a big disastrous bomb. So, so I would strongly suggest first, once you do what dynamics test, that you then get clear on your profile and you look for other mentors who are, within that sort of similar profile, and that's where Genius use very great for that, is if you're a supporter, you can see what other supporters are there and just reach out personally. Um, you definitely don't want to do what I get on an occasional basis every week from some Gen Z entrepreneurs, which is where they say, hey, like, you know, you're 
you're Vietnamese descent, I'm Vietnamese descent, you should mentor me. Like, yeah, that's the worst approach to go about. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many messages I get that. Okay. Uh, so the first step would be, is, yeah, getting clear on your profile, who you really are, and then say, okay, now you know who you are. You've got this benchmark where you're starting from. Who do you really want to be? So looking for that mentor who at least is within reach. So by within reach, I say that just aim high, even if it's someone that you don't believe you can reach out to some sort of, I don't know, online celebrity or whatever, it doesn't hurt to ask because if you don't ever ask the question, then the answer is always no. So I would suggest just go out there, make a list of mentors who you aspire to be. Um, And by aspiration, I don't always mean financial. I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong is you look at their lifestyle and what they really stand for and what the purpose is. Because if your purpose is to empower people, be at their best, and you go ahead and say, okay, this um, this dual maker profile, I want to be like him or her and who's always out there crushing deals and their focus is Wall Street, chances are you're probably not going to go ahead and be something similar to that because your purpose is completely different. So you'll make very different decisions. Mm. Great lessons. Very yeah. good lessons. That's really cool. I, I could see Britain out my face at the same time going, oh, yeah. yeah. Like when you said, <laughs> you know, choose a mentor of your own energy or, you know, genius. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I really get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go and look on Genius You straight after this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Or Here just go. ask you. Don't- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, Hung, your business has gone off in a lot of different directions, but at the moment, your main focus is Facebook advertising. How I know there's huge growth in that, and it's quite a specialist field. How did you land on that? Who are you working with, and what exactly are you doing for them? Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. Okay, so I've delved into Facebook ads since 2012. Um, I've always used my own money to begin with to split test because I've found out that if you, what I found with most sort of Facebook ads agencies or ad firms to begin with is they, they have what are called play money, which is their clients' budgets. So they can afford to make mistakes. But when you're dealing with your own money in your own business, you know that every dollar you lose, you have to earn $2 back to be able to be at the same position. So you make a different quality level, like, of decisions moving forward when it comes to setting up campaigns, tweaking them, um, acquiring clients or customers. So since 2012, I've honestly just gone ahead and really spent up to about $1.5 million of my own money over the past five years, testing tweaking campaigns in 40 different verticals. And now at the moment, I'm focusing on mainly two types of verticals. So people who are in more coaching, consulting, professional services who want more clients through Facebook ads. But the other vertical where I guess is the highest level investment with me would be companies who are enterprise sales software companies. So companies who deal with like a bit more of your sort of in 5,000, Fortune 500 companies who want to land the biggest accounts without having to do traditional methods such as expensive direct mailing or just going ahead and you know cold calling and cold emailing until the other person gets angry i use facebook ads as a platform to be able to, be able to actually bypass the gatekeepers all right so because because i had a question about that like i know your focus is business yeah. to business 
I was yep. thinking, like in business, a buying decision is always made by a group of people. So what yep. you're doing, you're using, um, if I understand correctly, you're using yep. Facebook to target the people within that business. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So what most people do on Facebook ads that I see is that it's too much of a B2C approach, a business consumer approach. So they'll say like, okay, so if I want a client the size of IBM, I'll just assume that they like groups such as, um, or they like pages like Forbes magazine, Entrepreneur magazine, but you're really just second guessing. That's all you're doing. You're assuming that just because they like that page, they're going to be, um, interested in what you have to say. And with that being said, it's like, sure, you might be able to target them, but there's another, you know, 100,000 people you're going to reach who aren't interested at all. So I do it from an account-based level where you say, okay, here's your dream 100 clients list, you know, IBM, Cisco, whatever, and we just go full force and we create individual ads targeting each of the companies, um, really announcing, like, whether it's the latest update of the company, um, congratulating them on being the Inc. 5000 list or whatever recent sort of press media list and mentioning like the names of the CEO, the CFO, so that when you target these actual company's employees, they can't help but actually share it with the upper management. Oh, that's brilliant. So, yes. so the advertisement is actually about the client rather than what it is that you're, you're trying to sell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Because Are you sure end, you're not a mechanic? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not actually. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's a good question because um, I studied engineering, um, mechanical engineering, in in university. Right. So I guess that's why I've got the system side. But surprisingly, like I like more the strategy side of things. But yeah. I just can't sit down and create 400 campaigns by myself. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's brilliant because I can see you're using. Like as a supporter, your your inherent thing is about making connections, but you're just using this yeah. tool to to yeah. to help accelerate those connections. That that is so cool. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's uh, yeah. He's a smart cookie. <laughs> Indeed. We're all geniuses here. Yeah. And so, how do you how do you communicate that methodology for your team? Because as you say, you can't create all these campaigns yourself. Yeah. How does everyone else kind of jump into that mindset with you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So um, that's that's a very good question. So when you're going to the level of what I call account-based advertising, um, so you'll hear a lot of rave about account-based marketing, um, especially in the enterprise field. So account-based marketing, just to give a brief spill about it, it's about looking um, at not going ahead and uh, casting a big, a big, huge net and assuming that everyone wants to go ahead and be a customer and then you funnel it down to the point that maybe 1% or 2% become customers. This is about actually starting off with a list of accounts that are your dream accounts and that even if just one of them said yes, like you'd be happy. That's the whole point. But it requires a different level of mindset in the sense that it needs to empower your team to say, look, we don't want everyone to be our customer or client. Um, we just need to focus on the wide accounts because we already know that they suit our um, methodologies, you know, our client criteria. Um, they already make X amount revenue per year. They've got a certain number of staff. They've got in-house resources. So you start with this list of dream prospects who already suit your ideal buying criteria as opposed to just casting messages out there and just seeing what sticks, which is 
Like um, that, that's the traditional means of inbound marketing. I wouldn't say that it's ineffective. It's good. I do suggest a combination of inbound and outbound, which is what I call all-bound marketing, not to sound cheesy or anything. It's not even <laughs> cheesy, but, but um, it's a different level mindset and it empowers both marketing and sales to be in alignment with one another because the common problem with most inbound or even traditional marketing is that marketing can you know, launch this huge, massive product launch and all of a sudden get all these leads through the door. But if you have sales team or even if yourself, you're doing the sales and you get onto the phone and say, hang on a second, 80% of these people, I don't even want to talk to them because they already said they're not interested or, you know, they, they can't afford my services, then you're really just creating another job for yourself. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like there's, there's kind of two levels of science here. So the first part yeah. is making sure you're targeting the right people. But then yeah. there's also a creative science and making sure that, you're putting the right message in front of them. So have you balanced your team out to, to, to sort of have those two sciences mixed together? Or have you just yeah. kind of... Yeah, most, most certainly. So on my team, so I've got virtual assistants who will go out and create the dream list either for myself or my clients. So let's say it's a dream one, two, or even 300 list of accounts that you want to go after. And each of those lists will have particular metrics to do with the company. So it could be how fast the company's growing, um, the annual monthly run rate in terms of how much revenue they're bringing in, um, numbers, stuff, series name, etc. And all of that is used in the actual ads moving forward. So unless everyone knows what accounts and what's, what types of decision makers we're dealing with, the ads cannot sort of be created moving forward. So it has to both be in alignment with each other. Wow. Mm. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, clever, clever. <laughs> so just on another note, not that you, you know, haven't got enough things to do, Hong, but um, you also mentioned yeah. that you, um, you've set up a new um, technology company and I know that yeah. you said that you recently got some funding mm. on a trip um, to Japan. So tell us a little bit about that company, what's the technology and what are the plans for, for that company going forward? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'll give a backstory in terms of how we arrived at this tech company. So originally we started out saying, okay, um, my business partner and I, um, his name's Eugene, so Eugene and I wanted to go ahead and build a competitor to Fitbit. And we said, okay, if we mixed in artificial intelligence to be able to, I guess, visually scan what you eat and stuff like that, it would make certain decisions easier, such as optimizing your diet. But then we slowly realized that perhaps technology wasn't there yet. So that was about mid-2014, sorry, end of 2014. And throughout the whole process, we pivoted to like literally 11 ideas. Um, just <laughs> same old thing that every startup tells you is just your job is to kill the idea as fast as possible before you actually come up with something with product market fit. So until you come up with something people want. And then now we've come up with a platform that is more or less... It provides the capability to send and receive payments instantly built on the back of Ethereum, which is um, the blockchain. So blockchain is like the second internet. It's the encrypted version of how we're going to be able to, I guess, do everything moving forward. And what Ethereum allows is smart contracts. So every time um, you go ahead and process a transaction, it can actually be linked to the actual Ethereum network so that no one can sort of do this double spending issue and with that being said so we're leveraging ethereum 
um, the new blockchain um, to be able to accelerate payments to and from. So if you think of, I guess, in the shortest form, it would be looking at a PayPal for messenger applications built on Ethereum. Wow. Mm. So is this this for consumer use or business use? We'll start out most probably with business use, um, primarily because when we looked at the segment of uh, which people who sort of suffer the most from payments is if you look at either freelancers or sort of, um, I guess, your solopreneurs, the hardest thing is to be able to get paid on time. And we all know that cash flow is everything. So I looked at that as being the greatest pain that we can solve because I felt it personally, my business partner has felt it personally. So if we can just accelerate that, um, then we can go ahead and expand out accordingly. Yeah. Wow. And, and anything to get rid of PayPal. <laughs> Bad experience. Um, yeah. I've, and yeah, I've had that experience as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, going and trying and fixing that but making it, you know, hugely yeah. better. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, yep, sure. Yeah, get, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to um, quickly interject and say that most of us don't really realise how much we're paying in fees until we do the numbers and most of my clients as well until you sit down and say, hang on a second, why did I pay 3% here, 5% here, 3% here? And really, it's at the end of the day, it benefits the actual organisation as opposed to the person to person, so as opposed to the peer-to-peer network. Right. So how, how will your process, yep. yeah, how, how will you monetize that if, if you're not? Okay, yeah. Yep, good question. So we'll still take a cut of every transaction, but it'll be much, much less, primarily because it's going to be decentralised, which means there's no one sort of bank that's actually handling everything. It's the Ethereum network. So it's actually the calls coming from the Ethereum network that activates the peer-to-peer sort of connection. So instead of, say, if you have freelancers on Upwork, like they take a ridiculous cut, um, I think sometimes up to about 20%, depending on upon um, the actual uh, freelance gig that's taking place. We'll, uh, what we're looking, we're, there's no way we're going to process 3%, most probably 1%. And we'll be contributing a bit to B1G1 anyway, which is our plan. So to go ahead and understand that every time you process a business transaction, a certain proceed goes towards helping and contributing to a greater cause. Right, okay. And will it, will it be like uh, will there be money made on currency conversions as well? Okay, because we're not necessarily dealing straight with um, your typical fiat currencies. It's right. built off Ethereum, which is its own cryptocurrency. So Got just it. like Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, yeah. Ethereum has its own um, virtual currency as well. There you go. There's I this know. whole other world out there, Mel, I know. isn't there? You're blowing yeah. my mind. I can't even think yeah. about that. and so just just for the listeners to explain so hung mentioned b1g1 that's an organization called buy one give one we'll put a link in the show notes so people can find out about that we both mel and i participate in that as well we're yeah it's just a way of um yeah supporting other people who who might not otherwise get support it's a great program yeah yeah excellent all right so it sounds like you're not actually doing much these days, Hung. So what, what's next for you? <laughs> Where will you be three, five? Are you the next yeah. Elon Musk? Yeah. Oh, I can't say I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be the next uh, Brett Jarman. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to need lots of luck. So, um, so primarily for this current company, so the, the beta name we've called it is Switch. So previously it was Hero. So with Switch, we'll look at going ahead and being able to touch a billion hearts with that. And the whole purpose of that primarily isn't necessarily just for businesses to be able to process transactions, but for us to be able to actually democratize wealth. Because what Ether and the Ethereum network will allow is that instead of the typical um, way of processing money where we actually need like a bank account and all this paperwork, like what if there was a way where you could actually go ahead and just verify your identity, um, like not the usual paperwork way, but to verify your identity with your face and also voice um, capture to be able to actually, you know, create a bank account. And that's essentially what we're doing on the backbone of it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where to go from there. I know. I'm thinking, what, what have I done since iLab? Like, you know, well. You've done lots. Yeah, just, yeah, just the notion of democratising wealth, like that's, that's – that's worth getting out of bed for each morning, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. And yeah, that's what you're both the best at is, yeah, going ahead and ensuring people are connected to their purpose, which I believe is more important than focusing on passion because passion can change every day. You know, one day you can be passionate about what you ate for breakfast and the next day you can be passionate about, you know, what you did at the gym, but really your purpose never changes. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, so when you when you talk about democratizing wealth, what what exactly does that mean to you? How will you know when wealth has been democratized? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So, as much as Wall Street's going to hate me for saying this, but if you could imagine if all the fees that were going to your centralized banks actually got diverted and went to the hands of you know your third world underdeveloped countries, or at least empowered them to be able to make money through the internet that would change the whole scope of things like you could imagine if someone in perhaps you know the outskirts of africa or other countries would be able to say do anything like five or even get on upwork and actually help out with doing data entry work which they couldn't do before so if they go from making nothing like literally nothing per day or one dollar a day to making say ten dollars a day it would dramatically change their life Yet for us, if we look at you know, $10 a day, we might say, like, oh, hang on a second, it's not worth it. But to someone in you know, a third world country, that could absolutely make them you know, transform their family, their life, and essentially you know, go ahead and contribute to a much greater world. Right. So you're not necessarily talking about handouts. You're talking about um, distributing yeah. opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So primarily what I really believe is that the best way to help and I really don't like to say the word poor, but the best way to help anyone who's underprivileged isn't to go ahead and just give them a fish, but it's to actually teach them how to fish. Right. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So how far away is this hung? How long do we have to yeah. wait? <laughs> really, really good question. So um, I'm hoping six to 12 months at most, um, but I guess we can most probably accelerate things. As you both know, it's all about finding the team. So with all tech companies, you'll have challenges where, you know, you might have staff that really perform and then, yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes they might not perform and you have to let them go and sort of rehire again. So it's mm. dealing with those challenging issues. Cool. So any, uh, you know, because we're their connections, 
business connections, like yep. how can people get on board and help or, you know, what help do you need yep. you know, to, to, to get this moving and, and happen quicker? <laughs> well, yeah, that's certainly very sweet of you to ask. So, um, just well, by... Elon Musk listens to the show, so you yeah. know. Oh, most certainly, most certainly. <laughs> Last time I heard Elon Musk actually had a picture of you, Brett, on his word self. So. <laughs> I don't like to hang on about that, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just in terms of helping, I guess just, yeah, that's a really good question. I guess once it's ready to be able to just go ahead and as simple as being able to share on social media and just continue to understand that there's never just one way of processing transactions. So it doesn't have to be just PayPal. Um, it doesn't have to be that we have to wait 30, 60 days to go ahead and get paid by clients, um, our purpose is to go ahead and be able to actually shorten the sales cycle so that businesses can have faster cash flow, which means it can be faster in business, make faster decisions, um, and be able to do what we all wanted when we set out in business, which is to achieve the lifestyle we want. Mm, love it. Brilliant. Well, yeah, let us know how we can help because that sounds, um, yeah, yeah, fabulous. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mel. <laughs> the world's in good hands. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Awesome. Yeah. So, so it's been really, really interesting listening to you, Hong, and, and having a chat. So if people want to find out more about you or get in touch with you, where could we send them? Yeah, most certainly. So ParetoProfits.com is my website when people want to reach out about how they can connect with me and ask for advice about Facebook ads. I do have videos and so forth, so if you reach out to me, um, at hung.paretoprofits.com. I'll be happy to, to pass them a link to my recent video on the actual strategy. It's a 90-minute video that goes through exactly the whole strategy. I'm not selling anything on it. I'm just really selling you on the idea that account-based Facebook advertising is very under-tapped um, and that no one's really doing it properly, but the video outlines everything that you need to be able to get started. Um, but also, I'm quite accessible on Facebook, so feel free to add me on Facebook. So I'm sure we can just link that up in um, in the show notes somewhere. Um, yep. But, yeah, that would be the best means to be able to contact me. Terrific, terrific. And in case anyone's driving or, or can't access the show notes right now, that's Pareto, yep. P-A-R-E-T-O, profits.com. Yep, and that's right. H-U-N-G at paretoprofits.com. Yep, that's the one. Fantastic. All right. I'm well, only. Yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, my mind's blown for the rest of the day. I've got to, I've got to learn all these new things now. I opened up a Pandora's yeah. box. So th thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, oh. really insightful. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. It was a pleasure being on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Hong. Lovely yeah. to yeah. see your Thanks, smiling man. face again. Yeah. I've seen your smiling face. <laughs> hey, just before you go, I just want to ask you one final question. How many sure. eggs do you have for breakfast these days? Uh, 36. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> My cholesterol be through the roof. Yeah, surprisingly, only two eggs now. I think I've calmed oh. down since my lab. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. for Brett and everybody else listening, when we went to iLab, Hung used to order breakfast, and but you know, not one or two eggs. He used to have eight <laughs> eggs. Nazi Goreng with eight eggs on the top of it. <laughs> yeah, too wow. many eggs. It turned iLab into iEggs, so that was a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. 
Is, is that just because you like them or was there a nutritional hit you were looking for? Yeah, I guess uh, in essence if I put on the Arnold Schwarzenegger accent, I was trying to get huge and trying to get massive. <laughs> <laughs> After the protein, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, you're funny. Thanks, Hung. Thanks so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure Thanks, talking bro. to you. See you. Bye. You've been listening to the Business Connections podcast. If you have a business question you'd like explored or a suggestion for a guest to have on the show, please drop us a line to businessconnections at expertsonair.fm. The Business Connections podcast is brought to you by the Experts on Air podcast network.